Whiskey, trade, and automobiles. This week on Grand Divisions, we look at President Donald Trump's tariffs, their impact both here in Tennessee and on political elections, and the possible impact on different countries around the world. This is the week of June 11th. I'm Dave Boucher, investigative reporter with The Tennessean. And I'm Joel Ebert, political reporter at The Tennessean. This week, we'll also hear from Senator Bob Corker, who was at the GOP's Statesman's Dinner in Nashville, Tennessee here. Also at the event were all of the gubernatorial candidates, the top four candidates in the race, uh, stumping essentially for their party's nomination. That's right. But first, before we get into our conversation with Senator Corker, we wanted to learn a little bit more about just what these proposed and implemented tariffs are, who they might affect and the true implications for Tennesseans. And so today we're going to be speaking with Jamie McGee. She is a business and development reporter here with the Tennessean. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me today. So Jamie, just walk us through a little bit about what a tariff actually is and the uh, practical implications of some of these tariffs for real Tennesseans. So a tariff is essentially a tax or a duty that's placed on a particular import or export. In this case, Trump is instituting a 25% tariff on steel and a 10% tariff on aluminum. Um, that means these goods, um, that when they're made in other countries, they will be taxed that much to be sold in the U.S. The tariff was announced, directed at China initially, and it appeared that U.S. allies would be exempted. As of last week, uh, that changed. Uh, European Union, Canada, and Mexico are now included. Uh, the reason behind the tariffs is usually to support goods made in one's country, but there are some side effects, which I'll get into. But U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross has cited the nation's trade deficit as a key reason for the tariffs. And it's basically to protect U.S. goods. There are some side effects that come from that. And in Tennessee, we're looking mainly at the auto sector. So Tennessee has 135,000 employees that work in the auto sector. And there's Nissan, Volkswagen, uh, GM, all operating the state. The state exports $6 billion in goods. And it's a, it's a key sector for the state. U.S. manufacturers need a greater supply of steel and aluminum, they've said. So if prices go up, their operations are going to be affected. And, and Jimmy, not to interrupt you, but that's just the steel and aluminum section of these tariffs. Now we're already starting to see, or at least there has been some response from other countries like Mexico and Canada, uh, where they have said, hey, we're going to start doing tariffs on uh, American-made goods, uh, yeah. whether that's that's whiskey or or you know tobacco or anything like that, right? Yeah, so another main concern is not just the cost of the steel and aluminum sector, but uh, the retaliation factor. So um, Europe has mentioned, as you said, bourbon, um, among other goods. China has talked about um, the agricultural products. They've talked about soybeans and also pork. Which is a huge component of Tennessee's economy. Yeah, soybeans is our number one ag uh, export. So there, there are a number of soybean farmers who are worried about this. And then you've got the bourbon industry. We all know mm -hmm. Jack Daniels is a big deal here. And um, that would affect not only our 600 million plus exports in uh, whiskey, but also the tourism sector related to that. So there are a number of implications of, of how this might affect our local So, economy. So do you think, I mean, this is clearly a fluid situation, but do you think this means that when tourists come down to Nashville and they go into one of those honky tonks, that instead of paying... $10 maybe, maybe more for a, for a whiskey drink that they're going to pay 15 or like, what are, what are some of these practical implications that we might be able to guess for, for Tennessee consumers? Yeah, I think, uh, the, the word I keep hearing, uh, when I'm talking to people in each of these sectors is uncertainty. We just don't know exactly how this will play out, uh, exactly, but there's a lot of concern about the impact on consumers. Uh, Lamar Alexander has called this a tax on consumers. Uh, the, the auto 
industry um, and a number of other industry leaders have talked about the impact on consumer prices. So it's not just the jobs, but it's also kind of how this affects Tennesseans. Uh, wallets. Some people are also, you know, saying that this is essentially a negotiating tactic. That's what at least uh, uh, Marsha Blackburn, who's running for the U.S. Senate seat, is saying, you know, we think that maybe he's just the president is using this as a tool to negotiate. But I imagine, uh, you know, uh, people that are producing these products don't really want to play that game, right? That they they don't want to look this as a negotiating tool. It really depends on who you talk to. I've talked to some farmers, a soybean farmer who said, you know, it's a bargaining tool. He's got our best interest at heart. We'll see how this plays out. And this could have a direct impact on his day-to-day business. So mm-hmm. there's there's still a lot of uh, wait and see. There's also people who have said, yes, this makes me outraged and, you know, this will affect my vote. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it really just depends. I think there's a lot of the let's see how this plays out before I make up my mind politically. So if, as again, can't stress enough, this is very fluid, but if the administration does decide to move forward with many of these tariffs, and it looks like they are going forward with them, and these this retaliation actually happens, how fast will, will people see this impact, both manufacturers trying to export goods and consumers here in the United States? Is this like an immediate thing, or just it just depends on, on the tariff and the product? Again, a lot of what I hear is uncertainty, yeah. and it depends. And, you know, as we've seen in the last week, things can change from day to day with this administration. So, you know, a lot of uh, auto companies are hesitant to... Even talk about this, it seems. Right. I've gotten a lot of deferments to associations um, uh, instead of the direct company. So um, I think there's just a lot of hesitation to to go out and say something because it might shift the next day. I can't imagine that investors are all all that excited about uncertainty, right? Like I think I saw a report last week that said that the Brown foreman who owns Jack Daniels had its shares fell 7%. I think this is from from Bloomberg, uh, which was the most uh, of the year. It's still up from year over year. But I, I have to imagine that the generally- The stock market is certainly yeah, reacting stock market, stock markets don't like the uncertainty of, of will they tariff, won't, won't they have these tariffs? That's It seems to be that that's, that's got to be a frustration for, for um, seemingly the people who tend to be more fiscally conservative and one would imagine would back a Republican administration, right? I think one thing that is coming out of this very quickly and, and clearly is that there is going to be a fight over this in the Senate race to succeed uh, Senator Corker. Uh, I mean, we've already seen uh, back and forth between Senator Corker and the president, but we've seen differences on the views between Marsha Blackburn and Phil Bredesen, who's seeking the, the, the Democratic nomination. So, Yeah, that's right. And, and, and Jamie, I don't, have you heard from anybody that you've talked to about like the politicization of this 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 idea or about, about like the playing of politics and, and involving, you know, what what will be hundreds of millions of dollars in trade. Yeah, I took to one um, a, a large scale pig farmer a few months ago when this the China announcement was made. And, you know, he said, I'm a free trade guy. I've been a Republican all my life. But yet this was not something he was excited about politically. And he would actually say that when um, I've talked to others, they've been more hesitant to weigh in. They just say kind of, well, we'll see how this goes. You know, there might be some short term pain, but we'll just kind of wait this out before we determine anything. There have been uh, you're talking asking earlier about just immediate impact. Um, what we do know is Electrolux and Springfield announced in March that would halt expansion plans. So that has been one, you know, more tangible outcome. I believe um, there was also something in West Tennessee where I had seen, uh, you know, a, a TV station found that there were some immediate pricing changes in, in manufacturing some capacity. And it's already been a difficult year for Nissan, right? Like, there have been there have been cutbacks. It just, it, and it, Volkswagen it, for that yeah. matter. <laughs> so it just, again, it seems like this uncertainty, one, would really affect 
investors. But from a pure political standpoint, this is kind of what candidates run on, right? Like they want to take that uncertainty and you want to either make it your own issue or blast the administration for creating that. And this is very much going to play a role in the midterm elections. It's already fractured many in the Republican Party, and I imagine it's going to get worse. Have we heard from anybody at the state level like Governor Haslam or other state? So the the governor spoke about it uh, initially when the idea came out there. Um, You know, essentially his latest statement after the, the proposal came out, a little bit more finalized. He came out and said he was not only worried about the impact on vehicles and, and the auto industry, but the agriculture industry. I think that's the, the, the point that people are very worried that this will have some blowback on our economy. When I spoke with the Tennessee Farmers Association uh, leader, he was talking about the the farmer's income has been down 50% in the last four years. Yep. And, you know, the farming sector goes through ebbs and flows, but this is definitely a, a downtime there. And so kind of puts extra uh, pressure. The pork farmer I spoke with had, had planned on a, a massive expansion. He said he wasn't you plus, know, sure he would he would carry that out. Plus, point. you have the uncertainty of the farm bill right now. If it, if it doesn't get approved by September, that adds even more, you know, confusion and uncertainty with farmers here in, in Tennessee. And it's all happening with this backdrop of trying to renegotiate NAFTA and <laughs> and these ongoing. Clearly, this is part of it, right? These ongoing fights with with Canada and, and with with Mexico. There's there's a lot of irons on the fire with trade. And um, again, it's it seems to be pitting some of these constituencies. You think rural farmers against the party that they have traditionally sort of hewn toward, which, again, comes back to potentially helping either Phil Bredesen, who has, again, supported this this push against or other other Republicans in the in the gubernatorial race who, who would push against this administration. Some people have even said that if you look at what uh, proposed tariffs other countries are making, they're going after the heart of Trump country. They're going after the, the you know, uh, the manufacturers of motorcycles, of, of, of bourbon and whiskey. You know, I mean, that that is Trump country right there. So, uh, yeah, another thing that I thought was interesting with this is I talked to an official with the Aluminum Association and he talked about aluminum. The, the demand is higher because we're looking at more fuel efficiency. The U.S. is not making enough to, to support the needs here. So they uh, were in support of action on China, mm-hmm. but they did not support the action taken on the U.S. allies. Um, they say that, you know, European Union, Mexico and Canada are all playing by the rules. It's China that's the you know bad, bad actor here. So they were, were for his actions on, Ch- on China more, but not on the tax of the allies just because the U.S. needs that uh, material. So apart from expressing their frustration, th- there's the real concrete action that voters of, of Tennessee can do is is talk to their elected representatives. Uh, we heard from U.S. Senator Bob Corker, who almost immediately came out against these tariffs and quickly joined by Lamar Alexander and and a, and a and a kind of a quite a mix of of senators. I was talking with somebody, U.S. Senator Brian Schatz, who's a Democrat out of Hawaii, is on this piece of legislation with with Senator Corker. It's pretty rare. That Senator Schatz, who is just an outspoken critic of of the president, is is on board uh, with with any Republicans on a bill, let alone Corker and Alexander. So we spoke with Senator Corker before the start of the statesman's dinner. He gave us a little bit more insight into why he uh, decided to push this bill and why he decided to oppose the president. Joining us today on the podcast, U.S. Senator Bob Corker. Senator Corker, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So good to be with you. Thank you. There's been a lot of moving parts uh, in recent days surrounding the president's tariffs and your new legislation. Can you just bring us up to speed on where your legislation regarding tariffs is right now? Yeah, it's uh, it's been filed as an amendment to the NDAA, which we'll be taking up next week, and I hope to get a vote on it next week. If not, we'll continue on. But uh, right now, I just got off the phone with several senators who are interested uh, 
our plan is to do everything we can to try to get a vote on it next week. Tell us a little bit more about the backstory of, of why you decided this legislation was, was necessary. Yeah. So in 1962, we passed a trade act that, that subsequently was consumed or subsumed into a, a trade act in 1974. And it laid out how we go about dealing with tariffs and other issues. There's one section of that called a national security section, which gives, which gives the president the ability to forego many of the things that you have to do in the other sections of the bill to deal with tariffs. Uh, no president has ever really abused that. It's been about national security issues. What I've seen this president do is to use that in places that have nothing whatsoever to do with national security. And what he's determined is anything that has anything to do whatsoever with our economy is a national security issue. And so once you do that, uh, you create a mechanism where the president can just pick and choose uh, as he wishes uh, to do whatever he wishes. I was a little bit surprised when I saw the national security component. I didn't understand what Tennessee whiskey or cheese or aluminum necessarily had to do with, with a national security crisis. So, so obviously most people do not. And so what we've said is if the president is going to use Section 232, the national security section, then once he gets through negotiating, he's free to negotiate and do all the things that a president would normally do. But since tariffs are taxes on the people of Tennessee and people all across our country, we want the right to vote on whatever it is that he decides at the end. And I've talked to him personally about it. Uh, it's not unlike the fact that he's getting ready to, to go negotiate with Kim Jong-un. And when he finishes, he, he's going to bring whatever he's negotiated to Congress. So it's the same exact thing. It's a common sense piece of legislation uh, for these times. You mentioned you have spoken with the president a little bit, and I think there's been some reporting on this, but can you tell us a little bit more about that conversation and kind of the feedback that you got from the administration? Well, look, no president, you know, wants, uh, you know, Congress to intervene in what they're doing, just like governors don't like it much, mayors don't like it much. And so, you know, we have a, I'm a United States senator. I'm elected to represent the people of our state, and I'm chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. So these things that are roiling our relationships with our allies, I mean, in essence, right now, I'm being somewhat rhetorical, but we're harming our allies and working closely with uh, people that are more of our enemies. It's a really odd place that we're in. And so, anyway, the president, you know, was, was heartfelt in his desire for me not to take this up uh, and is working hard against it. Um, but we just have a, we're in a different place. I'm in the Senate. My role is, is an equal branch uh, of government is to try to do everything I can to make sure that we do things that are good for our country and good for Tennesseans. What he has been doing recently is not that, in my opinion, and so um, we're just in a little bit different place. You know, when we first reported on this idea for legislation, we heard from, from Tennesseans and others that this is, this is Senator, Senator Corker trying to just fight with the president again and trying to just, just be uh, opposed to the, the party's leadership. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think there's anybody in the Senate that thinks that. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that are supporting this piece of legislation. People uh, from all walks of life are concerned about what's happening. So, um, you know, people are going to say what they say. But certainly nothing like that was ever discussed between the president and I. He looks at this as a policy difference. I look at it as a policy difference. And it's my job to do what I think is best for our country.
Have you had any indication from Senate Majority Leader McConnell about what he thinks about the legislation or, or where it might go? Oh, I think I think Senator McConnell left to his own accord would 100 percent support this. Uh, and he is left to his own accord. But, it, you know, I think intellectually and on the merits, I think he would strongly support this legislation. He's uh, very concerned about uh, getting crossways with the president and therefore is, is uh, you know, let's face it, working against the legislation. Is it too early to start thinking about House support? Or to, I, I've seen that you've rallied some some uh, organizations and outside ag- advocacy groups, uh, including AFP and others, to, to, to support this legislation. We didn't rally anybody. They just supported it when they saw it. And I think you saw a really strong editorial this morning from the Wall Street Journal. We've seen uh, strong editorials and other uh, and other publications. So we, we've done nothing to, to organize support. It, we, we introduced the bill this week. Uh, the NDAA bill's coming up uh, this next week. Uh, there just happens to be a lot of concern in our country right now about we're, what we're doing uh, with these tariffs. There's concern about what we're doing with Canada and Mexico. Um, and so it's a very timely piece of legislation. Let's say that the, the bill does pass and it, and it passes through the House and makes it to the, the president's desk. What, Given just his, his obstinance to the bill already, why, why would you think the, the president would, would sign that legislation? I think he likely wouldn't, so it would be up to us if he didn't. It would be to try to override the veto if, if in fact, he vetoed it. But, uh, no, I don't think it's something he would like to sign, but it's not our job just to propose legislation that someone uh, likes. This weekend, the, the president is at a, a G7 summit with, with other leaders talking about NAFTA and, and trade deals in general. Do you think that this summit might just you might uh, alleviate your concerns or, or might, he might change his, his tune on, on tariffs? Or, or what do you think some of the outcomes could be from, from this summit? Well, I don't know what the readout is. I know he's leaving early to head to Singapore, but uh, uh, I, I have a feeling it's going to be quite the opposite of what you just said. I think that you know our allies are very concerned about what he's doing and, and the fact that it's so ad hoc. I mean, there doesn't seem to be anything that's systematic about what he's doing. It's uh, sort of make it up as you go along, and I think that has people concerned. Last question. You referenced the, the, the Singapore summit uh, coming up here. What expectations do you have uh, from the summit? What would be, uh, I guess, a, a win or a, an achievement for the administration in the country? Well, look, I'm not expecting that they're going to walk away shaking hands on the 12th and, and uh, Kim Jong-un's going to agree to totally de- denuclearize. I don't think that's going to happen, but I would hope, uh, you know, the beginnings of uh, a longer, longer discussions about that happening, us being able to, to work something where he does denuclearize. Um, but again, I'm not expecting some massive breakthrough on the first day. If it happens, that'd be outstanding, but and maybe there's a lot more work that's been going on in the background than meets the eye. But, but again, I think uh, uh, hopefully uh, the two can agree on some broad uh, parameters uh, that can be followed up uh, with other subsequent meetings in the future to, to iron out details. U.S. Senator Bob Corker, thanks so much for taking the time and, and for your insight. We really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Plenty of uncertainty that we heard. Uh, that last sound you just heard was Joel kind of fidgeting in his seat. You can tell he's really nervous about these bourbon and whiskey <laughs> prices here. So, Jamie, we appreciate Gotta you coming on. Sweet tea he, and and that's true. That's true. That's his go-to. Uh, Jamie, I think that you reassured him a little bit. So, if, if nothing else, we appreciate you coming on for that. Thank you for your expertise. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll continue to follow Jamie's coverage here at the Tennessean. Hey listeners, this is Fact and Fact Check. 
a segment of the show where we offer both facts about Tennessee politics and check out some of the questionable statements and figures tossed around in the political arena. For our first fact, last week, we delved into the name of our show, Grand Divisions. This week, we take a look at term limits. The USA Today Network Tennessee recently reported on gubernatorial candidate Bill Lee's call for term limits for state legislators, a cause other candidates didn't rush to support. But while potential governors might not be in a hurry to talk about reducing state lawmakers' time in office, gubernatorial terms themselves used to be shorter than they are today. Until 1953, the term of a governor was set at two years, and no one could serve more than six years out of any eight-year period. Then, in 53, the term was lengthened to four years, but governors couldn't serve two consecutive terms in a row. It was not until 1978 that the state constitution was amended to allow a governor to serve two consecutive four-year terms. That's our fact for the episode. Now on to our fact check. The campaign of Republican gubernatorial candidate Diane Black has espoused fiscal conservatism and has been no supporter of the recently rejected Nashville Transit plan of resigned mayor Megan Berry. The plan would have cost in the ballpark of $5.4 billion, according to estimates. Black said after the plan was rejected that, quote, billion-dollar liberal boondoggles are not the solution. But in fact, Black has proposed her own plan similar to a previous one estimated to be in the billion-dollar range. She has called for the completion of the Interstate I-40 loop to reduce congestion in Middle Tennessee. In the 90s, after the completion of the Southern Loop of Interstate 840, the Tennessee Department of Transportation studied how much it would cost to complete the Northern Loop. But by 2003, then-Governor Phil Bredesen halted the proposal when experts had concluded it would cost more than a billion dollars. That's our fact and fact check for this week. Check back on our next episode for another segment. All right, that was Senator Corker. We spoke with him at the GOP Statesman's Dinner out at Opryland on Friday. Joel covered the event, uh, listened to all the speakers. Joel, what were some of your takeaways from the this big Republican fundraiser? Well, it was billed as a, an opportunity to look backwards and recognize Senator Corker's work as well as the governor, Bill Haslam's work, as well as look forward to the future, the next generation of leaders. Since we've got both of them leaving office, they've there's some big shoes to fill. So everybody that was on the Republican side applying for those jobs was there at the Statesman's Dinner. You, you had all the gubernatorial candidates, Beth Harwell, Bill Lee, Randy Boyd, Diane Black, all getting up at one point and giving a five-minute stump speech. None of them were that fiery. None of them were that, you know, awe-inspiring. There was an interesting moment where uh, Diane Black's folks started to leave in mass when Randy Boyd's people were, or Randy Boyd was speaking. So there was a little bit of odd interplay going on there. Uh, and then I thought the most dynamic and interesting thing out of the dinner was definitely uh, Marsha Blackburn's speech where she, on multiple occasions, attacked Phil Bredesen, uh, I guess signaling that she is sort of moving ahead with the plan that uh, this is her opponent in November. Well, and that's to, to the point that we made on the, the last episode with, with John Gear from Vanderbilt. This is an idea of it, that potentially you need to bring down Phil Bredesen's, bring down his positives, increase his negatives, whatever right. you want to do. Uh, but it, it makes sense that, you know, now is the time for, for the GOP candidate to start doing that. And this is the place to do it, to fire up the base. Just to, to set the scene a little bit, when you walk up to this, it's this big ballroom and there are... Um, young, enthusiastic volunteers <laughs> trying to give you stickers and buttons, buttons and signs. posters, and and then they are they're plying you with this with this all of 
of these nice items from the from the campaign trail and and you see people either taking a bunch of stickers or trying to wave them off and so they're clearly trying to uh, sway these people who tend to be influential people within the party within their own communities who then go out and spread the gospel we had a few people even there at this big event which generally is for insiders of the party uh, even undecided on some of the governor's race candidates, which I thought was interesting. I mean, we're still uh, a little bit over a month away, I believe, uh, until early or just under a month until early voting begins. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think this event really provides people an opportunity to get energized, to remind themselves, hey, we've got a job to do in both August and November, and we've got to get our people out and spread the message. You know what could help them decide? What's that? Maybe a forum or debate. (laughs) Speaking of which, there is a forum coming up this Thursday in Memphis with four of the six main gubernatorial candidates. That's Democrats Craig Fitzhugh and Carl Dean and Republicans Randy Boyd and Beth Harwell. This is focusing on legal issues. And so that's a a pretty broad umbrella. But that can be anything from juvenile justice reform to tort reform to to anything in between. Diane Black and Bill Lee have said they're not going to be there. Uh, This is brought to you by the USA Today Network. It's going to be on all of our websites uh, streaming online. Again, it's going to be from Memphis. And uh, it's largely a one-on-one format where an interviewer is going to be interviewing the candidate. So it's not going to be an interplay interaction. Key program note it's at 8 30 in the morning so wake up get you a cup of coffee <laughs> let's uh computer let's get fired up for a forum about legal issues in memphis with some of the gubernatorial candidates but the very next week there's going to be two debates that you're actually going to want to tune into if you don't pay attention to the forum june 19th is going to be a democrats only again usa today hosted a debate here in nashville at belmont that's going to be just craig fitzhugh just carl dean going at it on a multitude of issues one-on-one and the very next day, there'll be another one, Dave. That's right. That's right. The next day, there's a televised GOP debate, June 20th. It's here in Nashville, 7 o'clock Central Time. They're going to focus on legislative issues and, quote unquote, crime. So again, that's a that's a broad, uh, broad um, sort of topic, but it's a opportunity, especially as we're getting closer to the primary uh, election day, to see these candidates not only try to, to, to distance themselves, but possibly attack one another. Right. We'll see. It seems like it's going to happen very, very soon. Last programming note to mention, we had the, the GOP fundraiser this last weekend. This upcoming weekend in Lebanon, we're going to have the big Democratic fundraiser. Uh, we're going to have Alabama Senator Doug Jones come in to town, uh, along with the marquee Democratic candidates. That's Craig Fitzhugh and Carl Dean running for governor and Phil Bredesen. What's his name? Philbert. <laughs> Philbert. Is that it? What's his name? <laughs> Phil Bredesen, who is running for Senate here and is the widely regarded Democratic nominee. Again, that's coming up this Saturday. So plenty of stuff to to tune into in the, the world of politics and keep an eye out. We've got early voting coming up. What's the date again, Dave? The last day to register for the August 2nd primary is July 3rd. Very, very soon. Please, uh, if you haven't yet, please uh, go to the Secretary of State's website, go to our website, any any place you can to learn how to do that. Early voting for the primary starts July 13th. It's very, very it's soon. Coming up. It's coming up very soon. So again, thanks so much for joining us. This is the Grand Divisions podcast. You can find it at the Tennessean website, on iTunes, anywhere else you find podcasts. Please subscribe and, and tell your friends. We'd appreciate it.